Let me ask you something. What, uh, what are you envisioning for your future that you want God to do for you? And what are you asking God for in this time in your life? Uh, the, uh, a friend of Alexander the Great came to him, and he needed some money. He needed a little help out financially. And they asked him for what, uh, in the story at least, was ten talents. Ten talents of gold. And uh, he came to Alexander to collect, and Alexander didn't give him 10. He gave him 50. And he said, but sir, I only asked you for 10. And Alexander the Great replied, 10 is enough for you to ask, but 10 is not enough for me to give. And as you come before God and envision your future, as you come to God with your prayer request, whatever you're asking, most likely is perfectly acceptable to God, but it's not nearly what God really wants to give you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 summarizes that very well. There the apostle said, beginning in verse number 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, to him be glory. To him be glory. The truth is, I really think, that God has more in plan for your future and for the issues about which you're praying today than you have ever imagined or that you have ever asked. God is the kind of God that when He wants a world, He doesn't construct it like we would other things. He constructs it and speaks it out of nothing. And nothing obeys Him and comes into existence. When He wants to get the children of Israel into safety... From the world in which they are, he splits a Red Sea. When he wants to defeat the Philistine giant, he finds a scrawny young man out of that's not even qualified for an army and loads him with a slingshot and uh, guides it to the forehead of the giant Goliath. When he wants to save the world, he comes himself in human flesh and pulls off a virginal conception and birth. And he lives a sinless life. He dies a vicarious death for the sins of the world. And then, when he wants to crown him king and lord and elect him as king and lord, he raises him from the dead. And then, when he wants to return the world to its original state, original plan, he sends that same son back in the second coming and defeats all the forces of evil and establishes everything lovely and beautiful. That's the kind of God to whom we pray. But for too many of us, like J.B. Phillips said years ago, our God is too small. God probably has more in mind for your prayers and your life than you've ever imagined or you've ever envisioned or you have ever asked. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And he's dealing with three large issues in Ephesians 3. One happens to be, a multinational unity and fellowship in the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 6, where he has made Jews and Gentiles fellow heirs, members of the same body, and fellow partakers in the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, that's enormously difficult in our world. Most people gather in churches according to their socioeconomic and racial status, and God envisions a church of many nations, languages, tribes, tongues, and people. God can pull that off. And then, that's not all. Uh, not only a multinational fellowship of those that have been converted in Jesus Christ, but also a global mission. Paul said in verse number 8 of chapter 3 that 
It has been given to me by God's grace. And so he's stunned about this. He still can't get over it. To preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul becomes an emblem or a model of what the churches are to do. And then from verse 14 down to verse 19, he talks about the inner life. Something so remarkable to happen in that most mischievous and that most um, um, uh, difficult part of life, the inner life, he imagines this happening from verses 14 to verse 19. That um, we would be strengthened with all might by the Holy Spirit in our inner man according to his riches and glory. So he measures his glory, the riches of it, and he says that's how much strength you can have. And, and then the second thing, that Christ would be home. Cut a oikoman down home in your heart, that Jesus would be so comfortable that your heart and soul are his favorite place to go and to live and dwell in. And then that you would know the love of Christ, its width and breadth and length and height and depth, that surpasses knowledge, that you would know that. And then that you would be filled with the fullness of God. So the most mischievous, the most rebellious, the most grievesome part of the human being, the soul, is exploded with God's grace when someone prays for you and you gather others to pray. So he's got these large issues in mind. Folks, I will tell you, if we had this, every bit of the world's problems would be eliminated with just these three things that are found in this text. Well, the Ephesians, because they're tuned in and keyed in on what Paul is saying, they're overwhelmed by the vision. You think I scared you. You should have had Paul as your pastor. <laughs> this is what he envisions happening and taking place. And he concludes that in verse number 20 and 21, saying, let's give glory to the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus forever and ever Amen, is what he says. Well, when I look at the text here, I think I would really like to see God do something like that in our midst and in your life. You know, there's some of you that God is dealing with. He's speaking to your heart. In fact, he always is speaking to all of us one way or the other. And he wants to do something great in your life. He wants to do something great with your gifts, with um, how he's wired you. He wants to do something great with your life, with your education, with your resources, in other words, God has something in mind for your future that is beyond what you ask or think, but you doubt and you hesitate and you're afraid of failure. I want to tell you, this text ought to eliminate every bit of it. Every bit of it. And, and today, I hope that we will, when, when we say the final amen, and, and after hanging out 30 minutes to an hour like we usually do after the service, just informally, uh, that we will go from this place abandoned to what God wants to do in our lives because there's nothing, there is nothing that God has put before us that he wants from our lives that he cannot perform with a willing, faithful heart. Nothing at all. And there's several words I think about when I think about this text and God accomplishing these things in our life. And the first is this, and that is power. Verse number 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, and here comes the surprising part, according to the power. Now what would you expect him to say after that? And, and how would you expect him to modify power? Well, well, I would think, well, according to the power of the resurrection. 
or according to the power of creation. In other words, he can accomplish these things according to the power of the resurrection, of the creation, or maybe the power that he displayed in the Exodus. But is that what he says? Well, he could have. Back in chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, he's talked about the power in us. That's the power of the resurrection. But look what he says. According to the power that works in us. You may not have realized it, but when you came to Jesus Christ as Savior and gave your heart and life to Him, if you have, God deposited in you the very power of creation, Red Sea, and resurrection, and second coming in your heart and life. You're you're not waiting for power. All you have to do is that you've got to implement it and appropriate it in life. That's the kind of power that God gives to those who follow him. So I, I need to ask the question. I think it's a very fair question. And that is, is there anything in your life happening now that God is doing that is exceedingly abundantly above what you're asking and thinking? Billy Graham said, when our lives are no different from others, they wonder about the sincerity of our profession of faith. Let me ask you, is your marriage of a better quality than those who don't know Christ? Is your family of a better quality than those who don't know Christ? How about your own soul and your own walk with other people? Is there something of God's activity and God's work in you that is beyond what you can expect from ordinary good people? In other words, is God doing anything in your life that cannot be explained by good parents, the good parents that you have? Is there anything in your life that cannot be explained by good parents and a good education? Or or maybe an easygoing temperament? I mean, isn't there something taking place in life that's exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think? Well, you know, I'd like to have that kind of life. I would like for God to act in me beyond what I'm asking and thinking. I'd like to see something like that take place in my life, in my walk, in my relationships with others. I'd like to see something like that in my own marriage. I'd like to see something like that in my own family. I'd like to see something like that in my own work, my own life. I I, I don't want to go through life just like everyone else outside of Christ, outside of his church, and be like everyone else. I want God active in my life doing something exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. How can I see that that happens? Well, let let me give you several words here, I think, that will help you. One is purity. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 and 21, the apostle says that if we cleanse ourselves from these things, we will be fit for his use. Sin and unconfessed sin, unforsaken sin, will keep you from being used by God. Wally Glass was one of our Southern Baptist missionaries in China a few generations ago. Uh, he, he, his daughter happened to be Eloise, uh, uh, Eloise Glass, who, uh, whose husband um, eventually became president of the Foreign Mission Board, served in China for many years, but he was a student at Baylor University. And they had a campus revival take place. They had some of the most facilitating and capable speakers uh, that uh, Baylor had ever had in their history, but nothing was happening. Nobody was responding. And so they gathered together after a week of meetings, and they began to pray and ask God, What's what's hindering this movement of God? What's hindering this revival? And they prayed till 1.30 in the morning, and one young man stood up and said, I've got to be honest with you. 
I have been resisting God. He's called me to be a missionary in Africa, and I have said no. I've resisted. I've told him there are too many obstacles, but tonight I'm repenting. I'm setting all those obstacles before God, and I'm committing, and I'm yielding to go to Africa as a missionary, just like God is calling me to do. Another young man stood up and said about the same thing. And Wiley Glass shared his conviction that God was calling him to be a missionary. And all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, it broke loose. They met again at 8 in the morning for their campus revival meeting. And before it was done, 30 people on the campus came to Christ as Savior and 14 were headed to the international mission field. All because they got right with God and got their heart pure before Him and yielded. Let me tell you something. Whatever sin you're holding on to is not worth the price of missing the power of God. Don't live your life on the fringes of the power of God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Set it aside. Purity is the first thing. Second thing to get on God's work is path. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord's counsel, it will stand. Proverbs 19.21 says. In other words, don't just ask God to bless what you're doing. Do what God is blessing. In other words, find out what God's will is for you and do that. You don't have to create your own plan for life. You don't have to create your own direction. You don't have to create your own steps. God will order those. God will sustain those. God will put those uh, before you. And if you will do God's will, God will come through with his own power. You see, God doesn't bless our will. God blesses his will. So we give ourselves in that way. But some of us are working against God, so we're not getting anywhere with life. We're not getting anywhere financially. We're not getting anywhere relationally. We're not getting anywhere educationally. We're not getting anywhere vocationally. I mean, nothing's happened. God is not active in our lives because we're working at cross purposes. Reminds me of the man that was trying to, uh, uh, had a stove in his house that was uh, hung up and hemmed up at the door jam. And his neighbor saw him and he came over and tried to help him with the stove. And after struggling and straining and stressing for 30 minutes, the neighbor said, my goodness, I don't think we'll ever get this thing inside the house. And the man said, inside? I'm trying to get it outside. And too often, that's what's taking place with us. We're working at cross purposes with God. May I say to you, if you want to see God do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, then yield and surrender to his path for your life. But there's a third thing, and that is position. Put yourself in a position to where if God doesn't come through, you will fail. If it's in His will. Now, don't be foolish, but be completely open to walking with Him by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk not by sight, but by faith. We walk by faith. In other words, if it doesn't cause your teeth to chatter, if it doesn't cause your knees to knock, and you've never had that kind of experience where God's put something in front of you to where you've got to trust Him or you're going to fail. It may be you're not living by faith and you may not even be in God's will. May not be in God's will at all. God will always put before you something that creates a crisis of the soul where you've got to bow before Him and yield. For example, Abraham and Sarah, they're 90 and 100 years old and they've got to have a baby and make up a nursery. Well, that'll challenge your faith, won't it? So none of you are safe, by the way. <laughs> so 
put yourself in a position where God has got to come through. Listen, it's not that your prayers necessarily exceed God's plan. It may be that God's plan exceeds your prayers. Put yourself in a position to where you've got to have faith. And Manly Beasley, of course, said, faith is acting as if it's so. When it isn't so, so God will make it so. God will not bless anything less than faith. So according to his will, step in to a life of faith. We've had to do that throughout our lives as a family. Every church I've taken before Beach Haven was always smaller than the one I left. And you know something? God blessed it remarkably. I've never gone to a larger church. I always went to a smaller church, and God grew it and blessed it larger than the church from which I came. But the church from which I came was always larger and, and oftentimes had more financial resources. So I didn't climb a ladder. I took churches no one else wanted. I really did, before Beach Haven. <laughs> so I never climbed a ladder, never did. I wanted to, but, but God wouldn't let me. There are many things I wanted to do to begin with, but usually my first impulse in life and ministry, my first desire was not God's will. And so I had to back off and surrender and yield. One of the best things, <laughs> one of the best things to ever happen to me in my life is God didn't give me what I was asking him for. He gave me something better. Had that been the case, then in middle school, I would have married Jan Brady of the Brady Bunch, you know, <laughs> along with other guys of my generation. But I got better, amen? amen. <laughs> Put yourself in a position to where God has got to come through. Don't be afraid of those elements of God's will. So position is another thing to get on God's work. Then prayer. If you're going to see God do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, you're going to have to start praying differently. And I'm afraid that so much of our prayer instruction through the years has really discouraged this. We, we for a number of decades, have not been teaching people to pray, which is essentially asking. We've been teaching them to praise and give thanks, and that's good. But we've diminished the primary New Testament emphasis of asking God for things. And that's what Jesus constantly and repeatedly said that we are to do is to ask over and over. Hey, just do a New Testament search online of the word ask in the New Testament and see how often it arises in the Scripture. You're going to have to start praying differently before God. You're going to have to start taking the promises of God and pleading with God and saying, Dear God, this is what you've said. I've got to have you come through. Lately, for the last couple of months, I've been praying Jeremiah 33.3. Lord, you said to Jeremiah when he's in a prison, when Jerusalem is being sacked and invaded by the Babylonian hordes, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Lord, please come through. God, I have got to see some great and mighty things. You've got to come through. You said you would. You put this in your word. You weren't teasing me. You weren't misleading me. I've got to see you come through. And there are a lot of things on my heart right now I'm praying about in some of those ways. And some of you are too. And God says, I will come through. And you do so in such a way that you believe him and trust him. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty four, if you will believe that you are currently receiving what you're praying, God will answer. There's a, there's a final 
uh, element to getting in on what God is doing in your life, and that is to partner. Real practically, Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall suffer destruction. In other words, walk with people that are marked by the power of God in their lives. Get up next to them. Get up close to them. Walk with them. And listen, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Your future in many ways is circumscribed and bordered by friends. You get around people that are walking with God, that show and demonstrate the power of God in their lives. They can tell you personal stories of the fire falling in their lives. They, they can tell you personal stories where God has come through. And they don't have to exaggerate. They don't have to mislead. They don't have to pretend. There's nothing insincere about their testimony, but the fire has fallen in their lives. God has come through in their lives, and you just get under their spout and watch the glory come out. You partner with someone. Listen, it is God's intention in your life, with your marriage, with your family, with your finances, with your service to God, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It is time to see the hand of God in our lives. But there's a second word I think of, and that is not only power, but praise. Verse 21 is the main thrust of the text. To Him be glory. To Him be praise. To Him be thanksgiving. And he describes why and modifies that throughout the text. That there are many people giving glory today. Many are giving glory to UGA football. And, and many are giving glory to University of Alabama football. I am giving, with the shirt I'm wearing today, glory to Texas A&M football. I am magnifying them. I'm lifting them. I'm, I'm zealously excited and eagerly excited about the seven overtime win last night. Now, I've been asked multiple times that I stay up and watch the whole game. I said, no, I'm a responsible pastor. I go to bed at a decent hour on Sunday night. Had I done that, had I stayed up till 1, 1.30 in the morning and watching that, I could have only preached 20 minutes this morning. But I'm going to take, no, 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 you're praising the Lord too quickly, uh, but it's not the Lord you're praising. Um, the truth is, is uh, I went to bed at a decent hour, so I'm going all 40 minutes this morning. Thank you very much. Aren't you glad? So the truth is, is that you know what glory is. It's even in the fight song for the University of Georgia. Glory, glory to old Georgia. Uh, there is an eager enthusiastic exaltation of some entity. Here it says, let's give eager, enthusiastic exaltation to this God. We're not embarrassed. We're not shy about it. We're not hesitant. We're, we're not reserved about it. We're not backing down. Uh, we're not running around with a stick in our hand to poke it in other people's eyes, but we're lifting up Jesus. We don't care about being politically correct. We're exalting Him. We're lifting up Him. Glory to Him. Because He has done exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Beginning with our own conversion. Oh, it's a marvel that He would ever convert us. 
he would ever save us, that he would crucify and raise his son from the dead for our sins. And that's enough, but my soul, there's been so much more that he's given us since then. Is that not right? He's come through in so many ways. We bathed our tears with prayer. We have faced down and stared down with trembling knee, many a challenge and difficulty. And God has come through. Can't somebody give him glory? To him be the glory. We exalt him for that. And when we do that, God gets terribly interested in our lives. Paul said in Galatians 1, 23 and 24 about himself that in Jerusalem they said, hey, he who formerly persecuted the churches is now preaching the message. And in verse 24, and they glorify God because of me. Plead with God that he would act in your life exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think in such a way that people would glorify God because of you, that you would have a quality of marriage, that you would have a quality of family, that you would have a quality of a personal walk with God, that you would have conduct and productivity in the workplace, so much so that they would glorify God because of you. They would think better of Him. They would be impressed with Him, and God can do it. Praise. Power. But then there's a third word, and that is place. Where's the place that he does that? It says in verse 21, To him be glory in the church, and literally in the Greek text, in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Churches that are in Jesus Christ. Churches that are in Jesus Christ. This, that is the place where God prompts and ignites glory. Churches that walk in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, of course, that when we see the word church in the New Testament, we're not speaking of a building. That's just a meeting house. There's nothing real sacred about it. But the collection of people that have called on Christ, that have been baptized, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, biblically, after conversion, and are covenanted with God and one another to walk with Him, that is a church. And that's true whether you're meeting under a broom tree in West Africa or whether you're meeting in a stately worship center that's climate-controlled and comfortable pews, or uh, if pews can be comfortable. Um, th- th- that's a church. That's a church. And so in those churches that are walking with Jesus Christ, Walking in Him, that is the place from which God ignites glory. Now, there are several things about churches. God uses churches. There is power in collecting ourselves and gathering ourselves with one another for the same and single purpose in Jesus Christ. You know, one snowflake cannot accomplish very much, but enough snowflakes can shut down a city and a state. If there are enough of them. One brick you can shove around with just a foot. But many bricks together, you won't move it because it's a building. There is power in gathering together in the name of Jesus Christ. Where what God can do is exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. To Him be glory in the churches. God uses churches. But that's not all. God not only uses churches... 
But God also exalts churches. Listen to me carefully. There is no such thing as a vital relationship with Jesus Christ without a vital relationship with a local church. Jesus Christ is into the church. He created the church. He conceived the church. He anointed the church. He gifted the church. He redeemed the church. He sanctifies the church. He hears the church. He blesses the church. And when he returns, he's coming back for the church. Jesus is a churchman. Jesus is committed to the church. There's no such thing as a vital, robust walk with Jesus Christ separate from the local church. It's always a downgrade. It's a declension. Every serious Christian should be a member of a local church with a robust, growing commitment to it because that is what Jesus Christ is committed and created. So he exalts the church, but then he also filters the church. He uses the church, he exalts the church, and he filters the church. It says here in the text, it says, To him be glory in the churches in Christ Jesus, literally in the Greek text. Hey, do you know there's some places that call themselves churches that are not in Jesus Christ? I mean, you, you can go weeks and months and sometimes years and never hear them declare in Bible studies of the pulpit the death and resurrection of Christ and urgently invite men and women to repent and place faith in Jesus. You can hear an awful lot about God and hear nothing about Christ. I sat through one worship service years ago in another state. And ladies and gentlemen, there was a complete, shocking absence of Jesus Christ, so much so that a conservative Jew or Muslim could have agreed with everything sung and said in the worship service. Not here. Not here. All are welcome, but we're lifting up Jesus. Jesus' attitude towards the Old Testament. You find people casting aspersion and doubt on the Old Testament, the miracles and the morality, you're not in a church that's in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus' uh, ethic and his mission, what he prioritized. Uh, Jesus' inspiration of the New Testament. In other words, what Jesus believed, how Jesus behaved, his purpose and mission for the local church, these things are in Christ Jesus. The fellowship of the church, the Lord of the church, the master of the church has got to be Jesus. Listen, if you're a guest with us and you've got a great church and it's in Jesus Christ, God bless you. Um, wonderful. We would never try to steal you from your church. But if you're part of a church that doesn't do this, would you please find another church? Because God will not get glory in such a place. To Him be glory in the churches in Christ Jesus. Hey, listen, that's why here at Beach Haven, for decades, now and especially with my predecessor and those who came before him, we get lathered up. And if the spit doesn't get you on the first few rows, Trust me, the fire will in the back, and it has for many, many decades. We get lathered up about the death of Christ. We, we get moved 
about God's call to conversion and repentance in Jesus Christ. We love and we long for more holiness. We, 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 want, we want the mission of the church to be expanded and glorified. We want the word of the Lord to run to and fro throughout the earth and be glorified. We, we're looking forward to Jesus Christ returning. And, and we don't want to be um, queasy about that. We're, we, we don't want to be nervous about it. We're not the best at it. Uh, there are others that are doing a great job. Thank God for what's going on here. But we have this heart. We've got this soul because he deserves the glory. And he's willing to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think in the churches in Christ Jesus. J. Hudson Taylor said this, the great missionary to China, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. He prefaced it with depend on it. If you will do and discover God's work and abandon yourself to it and then do it God's way, trusting him all the way through, God will always come through with a remarkable supply. Listen to me. You can do anything God wants you to do. Anything at all. For some of you this morning, that would mean you've got to leave behind your sins and divorce them, drop them, your guilt, anything that keeps you from Jesus, and turn to Him in faith and trust His death and resurrection. God wants you to do that. That can happen. You're afraid of failing. If you're afraid of failing, you probably will not fail. You probably won't. At least not in a remarkable scandalous way. Because you're sensitive to it. And God will help you. He's going to come through. And when you do struggle, He will lift you up. He will become a father to you. Or at least the father you wish that you had. And so for some of you, that, that's it. Some of you, God's calling you to the mission field. And He's putting that on your heart and burdening you to come and say yes to Him. Or you suspect that may be the case. And so let us pray with you about that. It's not a commitment, but let us pray with you about that. And we'll commit to you to do that. Others of you, God's calling you to do something else. To, to rearrange your finances. To do something about your marriage. To do something about your family. To, to do something about your work, your vocation, and your future. You can trust God. You can do anything God wants you to do. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Some of you had a disappointing morning, maybe this morning or some other morning. You, uh, you got up and um, you went to the pantry looking for cocoa puffs and some joker had already eaten them. And so you saw the lack there and you changed your mind about breakfast and you did something better. You went to Strickland's. Well, changing your mind about what is lacking in the pantry and the abundance of Strickland's down the road is what I'm asking you to do today about your current life and direction. You need to just go ahead and admit the box is empty. There's nothing there. And you need to go where there's plenty and abundance. Changing your mind that way is what repentance is all about. Ezekiel 18.30, repent from your sins and your iniquities. Change your mind. It's empty. I can't get what is needed there. That's not right. You might need to change your mind about God's ability to forgive you. Listen, God can do with your guilt exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And then the move 
to a restaurant where there is abundance is much like you placing trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has more grace than you will ever need. And he's willing to forgive and cleanse. And that's what you need today. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Today, if you'll do that, God's going to begin that walk with you in which he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Would you quickly stand with me, please? I want to pray with you. And after we pray, we're going to sing. And we're going to invite you to come. Our staff will be here. You do what God wants you to do. There may be something else you need to pray about. You come. You just follow God's call. You do what God wants you to do. He's willing to come through for you. You can do anything God wants you to do. Just get in on it.